0: Hi there, welcome along to this week's High Performance Podcast. I'm so glad that you've joined us, maybe for the first time or maybe you're coming back for more inspiration, more stories, more life advice from our guests. Um, Just a quick reminder that if you can rate and review the podcast, it makes such a big difference to us. It's been so great to hear this week from all kinds of different people involved in world-class elite sport. Thank you very much for keeping on sharing our podcast and sharing your messages with us. But we love hearing from people from all different walks of life. And we had a message that came in from um, the username was maternity leave mum of three. And she says, hi, I'm currently on maternity leave with my third child. My days can be long, but if I get a minute, I can't wait to put your podcast on. I'm dyslexic and this can hold me back in some aspects of my life. But this podcast has really helped to give me courage and a boost in everything I do. It's done wonders for my confidence. I can't thank you enough. I'm telling everyone about it. Keep up the great work maternity leave mum of three thank you so much messages like that are the reason why we do this high performance podcast so please everyone keep on sharing keep on talking about it keep on spreading the word and it's good to see our community is growing this week we hit 50,000 subscribers on YouTube so check us out there we've now got 20,000 followers on Instagram just search for at high performance and I think this week's guest once again is going to get you thinking going to get you questioning and without doubt when you hear his story it's going to help to lift you this is what you can expect on this week's episode
1: you know a lot of times I would lose the game and I would sleep soundly and the only reason why I was able to sleep soundly was because I knew like from my soul that I put in every single ounce of me into trying to be successful and trying to do my job and when you know you've done that if it doesn't work out what do you (laughs) what do you attribute that to
0: I can't wait for you to hear it. We're so proud to have you listening. So let's get straight to it. It's time for this week's High Performance Podcast. Hi, I'm Jake Humphrey. You're listening to High Performance, the podcast that delves into the minds of some of the most successful athletes, visionaries, entrepreneurs and artists on the planet and aims to unlock The very secrets to their success. Now, everyone needs a professor in their life, and mine is also an author and an expert in the success of sporting cultures, Damien Hughes. And look, Damien, our guest today knows what it takes to build a winning team, to operate in that brutal but successful environment, and then winning more awards now as a pundit on our TV screens here in the UK. He's a winner, and what's interesting is he's a winner who's done it repeatedly.
3: Yeah, I think one of the um, things that's really intriguing me on this is... um, one, the transition. I think our guest today, is trans- like his life has been about transition. Um, so somebody that's been able to move from culture to culture to environments and be successful in each. And that's something I'm really intrigued to explore.
0: Well, let's welcome along to the podcast a man who has won two Super Bowls, but looking at his hands, he does not walk around London wearing the rings. (laughs) I don't blame him. Uh, Welcome to the High Performance Podcast, OCU Maniora. Thank you, guys, man. I appreciate you guys having me here. It's good to have you with us. It's always the first question on this pod. What is high performance? That's a good one. I think high performance
1: is being able to perform under any circumstance. I think that's the most important part of of high performance because um, being able to perform in one instance is hard enough, but being able to perform in multiple instances, no matter what the situation is, I think is something that eludes most of us. And um, I think that would be my definition of high performance, performing at a high level, uh, no matter what circumstance
0: you're in. Well, let's talk then about your performing at a high level, um, specifically winning the Super Bowl. I'm really interested to either understand whether you relied solely on athletic ability or whether you had mental tricks that you would perform ahead of a big game Mm -hmm. that would make sure that you were on the winning team? Oh,
1: 100%. Um, For me specifically, it was mostly mental. Uh, You you get to the, the NFL, or if you're in America, or even here, you realize that there are tremendous athletes. I mean, people who are better than you athletically, Every in every way. Um, and so if you're going to be able to perform at a better level than them, then the trick really was up here. So for me, I knew that, you know, I was pretty athletic, but there were people who were bigger, stronger and faster than me. So I had to do things in a different way, if you may. And so I had to start to learn the tricks and trades of, of playing football. So, for instance, I would look at things. I would study tape for five, six hours a day. Um, to see if I could get an advantage on my opponent. I wanted to know, um, how he put his leg. Uh, and that would give me a tip on to what move I would make against him. I wanted to know what the quarterback was doing. Sometimes I would get the game copy of, uh, of an opponent that we're playing and I would put it in and I would turn the volume up real loud because now the quarterbacks, they wear microphones. And so if you turn the volume up loud enough, you could actually hear what they were saying. So I would sit there with the volume all the way up listening to see if I could pick up anything as to what the quarterback was saying that would give me an advantage when I was playing. I wanted to know what the snap count was uh, when they were going to snap the ball. And so you had to sit there and study. I would look at the quarterback's hands. I would look at the quarterback's feet. I would look at the coach's mannerisms. It it was literally one of a thousand things that you had to sit there and study because if everybody's on the same level athletically, then if you want to be an elite player, then You have to do something different. And what was that? For me, it was mentally. I was going to outstudy and outwork my opponent. And I think that's what gave me the edge in in a lot of
0: games that I played. So when you're in the locker room and you're five minutes from the biggest game of your career or of your season, yeah. How much did all the extra work you knew you'd done quietly Mm -hmm. at home, away from the spotlight, how much did that give you that mental Confidence that everything was going to be okay. Oh, tremendous, tremendously! I
1: think um, the Super Bowl, for instance, we're playing against the first one we won was 2007. We're playing against the New England Patriots, Tom Brady, (laughs) greatest quarterback ever, supposedly. (laughs) Um, And uh, you know they were undefeated; they hadn't lost a game that year. They were on their way to being the greatest uh, football team in history. But as I was watching the um, the tape. This was because you have two weeks leading up to the game. As I was watching the tape, I noticed that Tom Brady, he would come up to the line of scrimmage. And this is this is real information I'm giving you here worth millions of love dollars. Love it. Love I'm it. Give it to you. Like right there's here.
0: people yeah. recording this to pass it onto their players.
1: <laughs> yeah. But what, what I noticed was he would come up to the line of scrimmage and he would, you know, say hi, hot, hot, which is telling the, the, um, the center to snap him the ball. So what he was doing was he would come up to the line of scrimmage. And before he said that, he was pointing at somebody. Um, maybe it was like somebody on our, on, on the opposing side. Yeah. And he would point at that person. And if he didn't point at that person, that means they weren't going to snap the ball. But if he did point at that person, the ball was coming as soon as he said, all right. So after I watched this, I studied this for literally a week. And I went back, I watched it. All the games and he was doing the exact same thing, but nobody had figured it out. So I saw that and I went and I gathered all the whole defense and I was like, listen, this is what this man is doing. And if you know when the ball is being snapped as a defensive line, if you know when that ball is being snapped, you are at a tremendous advantage over the offensive lineman because they're relying on, on you not knowing. Because if you don't know, that means you're going to be late. But if you do know, you're going to beat them. Almost every time. And so, as soon as I figured this out, I I gathered the whole defensive line. I was like, listen, this is what Tom Brady's doing. Now, we all started to watch this together and we saw this was 100%. It wasn't even, you know, it wasn't even like 80, this was 100%. So, now we knew going into that game that as a defensive line, we were going to be able to overwhelm them offensively simply because of that one thing that I had pointed out. And we went into the game. And we sacked him like five times, hit him like 20 times. They couldn't understand how we were getting off the ball and getting to him that fast. And it was simply because for two weeks prior, I just sat there and I had to watch what this one person was doing. And that gave us the mental advantage going into the game. We knew we were going to win that game, even though nobody else did, because we knew something that they didn't know and nobody else knew that we knew. So being a
3: people watcher then, is yeah. it, it sounds very much like the skill you're describing there, LC, but... Yeah. I'm interested in going further back to, to you, a kid that grew up in London and then at seven years old, you make that transition of going out to Nigeria and yeah. then 14, you go to the States. How much of being a people watcher did you learn through those experiences?
1: Well, I think that being placed in all these different environments, you know, for me, it's it's really weird because, you know, I was born in London and, you know, I went to Nigeria and then I went from Nigeria to America. And so in a way I'm British, Nigerian, and American, but I'm fully not neither one of them, if if you understand what I'm trying to say. So I've had to literally look at every single culture I've been placed in and watch the way that they are and observe the way they are and pick up things at the same time and almost to try to fit in, in all these different cultures. So I've had to I haven't fully fit in in anywhere, but I've partly fit in in everywhere, if if you understand what I'm trying to say. So, you know, just growing up, you had to learn, you know, those skills because I kept on being placed in all these different environments. And so I had, almost as a means of survival, I had to learn and watch people and, and learn how to adapt to every situation that I was in.
3: So what would you say are the key traits of somebody that can go in and survive in very different
1: cultures and environments? It's very, very important that you... You understand that you don't know, you know, that you don't know everything. You don't matter of fact, you don't you might not really even know anything and you have to be willing to learn. And um, you can't be abrasive and think that you're better than anybody because you come from whichever environment that, you know, you came from. You literally have to go in there and just listen and watch and learn. And um, if you have that mentality that, you know, you're going to learn from wherever you are, um, you're going to learn from whoever you're around. I think that gives you uh, an an advantage. But if you go in there thinking you know everything, or if you go in there thinking that you're better than anybody, you're going
0: to be in constant conflict with whoever it is and and wherever that you go. So how was this young guy that's been brought up in London, moved to Nigeria, gone to the States not played American football until he's a teenager. So in that respect as well, you weren't one of these seven-year-olds where your dad's kitted you up in your NFL outfit. So you're already kind of not like everybody else. Yeah. How have all those experiences and all those little things turned you into someone who could walk into some of the most famous franchises in the world and not just fit in, but thrive?
1: I think there's an aspect of, of luck to it. Uh, Do you?
0: Because it's so rare for people to come on this podcast, talk about high performance mindsets and talk about success and then point towards luck. Yeah. It's almost like they don't want to say that. Do you know what I mean? Because in some ways it kind of takes away from what they've achieved. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not
1: opposed to, because just my whole life story, you know, has led me to believe that I've been more lucky than, than good you know, every single thing I've experienced, even from being born here. Being born here gave me advantages that um, somebody born in Nigeria wouldn't have. And, you know, leaving Nigeria and going to America, you know, my father was able to afford that at the time. And so that gave me another advantage that, you know, somebody who stayed in Nigeria didn't have. And so all these different things let me know that a lot of this stuff is is just down to chance. It's not necessarily, you know, obviously you have to be able to take advantage of of whatever situation that you're placed in. But um, the fact that I was placed in those situations let me know that a lot of this stuff is just, it's all pure dumb luck. The way I got into college was just pure dumb luck, man. Like people, if I explained to you how I got into college, yeah. you you wouldn't believe it. You know, it doesn't even make any sense to to most people started playing American football. I was 15 years old. So I started really, really late. And I had a scholarship to play American football at 16. And I really wasn't that good. I was just a decent player. And so I played 15, I played 16. And, you know, I it was done. I was over. And so um, at that particular time, my father had, you know, got into some issues in Nigeria, so we didn't have any more money in in America. So we were like, stranded in america at the time so i'm in school um and i had a driver's license and so i was driving my sister's car to school every day every morning i'm a senior i'm driving my car to school every morning right but i had to take this class called driver's education in auburn high school which is yeah. the school i was in so but because i had a driver's license and i was already driving to school i was like i'm not going to Driver's Ed. Why why would I go to Driver's Ed when I'm already driving? So I would show up to that class late every single time because I was already driving. I didn't care nothing about Driver's Ed. So one day I show up to this class. And mind you, my football career is over. I hadn't received a scholarship or nothing. I'm I'm just I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get into college. So one day I show up to this um, to this class, and the teacher is like, "Oh, you have to go to the principal's office." I'm like, "Principal's office? What am I going to the principal's office for?" So I go into the principal's office, and she's like. Uh, You've been late to this class um, so many times. And so because you've been late to this class so many times, uh, you have to go to in-school suspension, which is like a form of detention. And so I'm like, wow, I didn't even know that this was, you know, that big of a deal. So I go into in-school suspension. I have two weeks of in-school suspension now because I'm tardy is what they like to call. I'm late to school. So as I'm in in-school suspension, the guy who's running the in-school suspension was the running backs coach of our high school. And so the second day I'm in there, he's like, oh, so what are you going to do with your life? I was like, I don't have a clue, man. I, I came here to get education. I'm supposed to be going to college. And so I have to somehow find a way to go to college. And so he's like, "Um, you know, you're a pretty good football player. I know you don't really know much, man, but have you ever thought about walking on somewhere? And walking, they don't give you a scholarship. You just kind of walk on and then, you know, you can earn your way to getting a scholarship. And I'm like, man, I don't care. Man, I just, I just want to go to school. That's what I'm here for, to go to school. So he's like, all right, cool. No problem. Um, let me call one of my friends who's a coach at Troy University. I'm like, all right, cool. Now, mind you, I'm in in-school suspension now. <laughs> I'm like, all right, cool. So he picks up the phone and he calls his friend who's coaching at Troy. And um, the guy's name is Tracy Rocker. And so as he calls his friend, he's like, Tracy, I have this little kid here by the name of O.C. He's a big kid, you know, athlete. He hasn't been playing football too long. Um, You know, maybe he can walk on at your school. Now, Tracy just so happened to be in Auburn at the time visiting his parents. So Tracy was like, you know what? Um, You know, why not, man? Let me come see this kid. So Tracy literally gets in his car from his parents' house, drives to Auburn High School, where I'm in in in-school suspension. And he sees me and he's like, you're a big kid. Can you run? Like, what's your deal? I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm pretty fast. So they take me outside um, and they tie me in the 40-yard dash. And at this time, I'm really big, but I can run really, really fast. So he times me, he's like, man, you really can run. And so they put in a tape of me, and I don't know what I'm doing because I haven't been playing football long, but, you know, he's like, oh, okay, uh, you're running around, but, you know, we, we can work with you here. So Tracy now calls the head coach of Troy University, Larry Blake, and he's like, listen, we got this kid here. Uh, he's fast. Uh, he speaks well. He, he's really intelligent, man. I think we should take a chance on him. And, Tra- and Larry Blake was like, all right, cool, give him a scholarship. So the guy was like, okay, we're going to sign you wow. too. <laughs> that sign- is mad. I promise you, he's like, we're going to sign you. All because you were late for driver's ed. For driver's ed. Now, Jake, from the time, right. this guy, the, the running backs coach, asked me what I was going to do with my life till I had a scholarship. This was literally less than an hour and a half. Uh, and this, you know, you, at oh this point
0: head. your whole life is about getting a scholarship and it's just happened in an hour and a half just like that now what I think is really interesting like when you said oh it's all about luck right that doesn't seem to me like the mindset of an elite athlete mm-hmm. but maybe the fact that that was your routine was the armour you needed because as you progressed through into the NFL and you started playing in big games every time you thought am I good enough have I got the skills should I be here your mind goes well This was fate because you were late to driver's ed, which means you're now an NFL footballer. And maybe that was like the the armor that you needed. And it just gave you that kind of mental strength to say, this is meant to be. So I'll I'll be fine today. Therefore you play better and you win.
1: 100%. And I always always fall back on that because I would think back to how it all began. I'm like, what are the odds of this, you know, all coming about? So I would go out there almost... Carefree, because it, it, in it a was way, meant it, it, was me- it was meant to be, yeah.
3: Without being intrusive, see. do you have a religious faith?
1: Yeah, I, I was born and raised Christian. Right. I was. And so I would say to maybe like I was about 17, 18 years old, I was like a devout Christian, like devout. And then I started to think about, you know, quite a yeah, few yeah. things and, you know, think about the world and like, man, you know, I know some people who are, who are Muslims, who are like really good friends of mine. And I couldn't, you know, say that these guys are going to hell because if I was born in Saudi Arabia, if I was born in the northern part of Nigeria, I would have been a Muslim. I would have believed in what they believe in. So how can I now say these people are going to hell if I could have very easily been um, a Muslim? So for me now, it's more, you know, I just believe more in there has to be a higher power. Yeah, you know, I believe in that, but you know what you call it, I, I, I don't, I don't know.
3: Yeah, no, the reason I ask is, I, because I, I love that story you've told there, but I've met and interviewed athletes that sometimes that gives them that freedom that you describe mm-hmm. of there's a fate at hand there, and yeah. therefore I can, I can let myself go and just worry about performing rather than worrying about how or why it happened. Absolutely.
0: But you may have ended up in the NFL because of being late for driver's ed and and getting that lucky break but that doesn't mean that you're then going to be successful relying on the fact that it was fate is not actually in reality going to mean that you're a good football player right no you have to put the work in so when you talk at the very beginning of the podcast about i sat for hours i watched people i studied people and what i thought was interesting was you were the one that noticed tom brady so Mm. you're clearly doing stuff that your fellow players are not doing. Mm. Where did that mindset come from? Who taught you that you need to think like that?
1: You know, for me, it's just when you know where you come from and when you know the situations surrounding where, where you come from, there's a hunger there. You know, there's a real drive there that, you know, you get from just, just knowing You know, situation. So, I, you know, I almost knew that I had to take advantage, like, of this situation that I'm in. Like, I had to take full advantage of it, man, because so many people where I came from, not only in, you know, Nigeria, uh, the place I was placed in in America was the hood, the projects. So, you know, knowing all these different um, scenarios and, and how people were struggling, I was like, man, I'm here and I have... I have to take full advantage of this, man. So if I'm not as athletic or if I'm not more athletic than, than all these people around me, then I have to somehow find an edge. And mine was just, messy. So it was just constant studying, constant work, constant, constant, constant because, man, Jake, it's rough out here, man. It is really, really rough. And, um, you know, knowing that and understanding that gave me the um, the fight to want to be, you know, better than, you know, pretty much everybody.
3: When you look at the NFL draft and there's lots of like the psychometric tests and the physical tests that they do, mm. what was it that you would bring into it as well as all that qualities, like how do they know that you've got that work ethic or that willingness to study?
1: For them, it's, this is, this is why the draft is, a, it's almost like a crapshoot, you know, Um, and majority of the people who they draft will be failures, oddly enough. Um, it's, it's just what it is. They can't possibly know who's going to succeed and who's going to fail. I mean, they could tell you that they do, but if they did, okay, the draft is, you know, they're going to draft 230 something players every single year out of those players, maybe 20 of them will be successful.
3: So if you look at those 20, what is it that what is that quality that they've got that doesn't show up on a psychometric or a physical test?
1: Nobody knows. I think only the player themselves can profess to know that. But as I'm sitting over here telling you this, I can guarantee you that every single person who you interview that's going into the NFL will probably tell you the same thing. They'll be like, yeah, I work hard. Or, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But then... Only very few, you know, succeed. And there's some people who, uh, you know, honestly, they worked just as hard as I did. They really did. You know, they were in there working out hard in the morning. You know, some of them will be in there uh, watching tape just like I did. And a year later, you've heard nothing from them. They just disappeared. And then, you know, I have also knew some people who didn't work as hard as I did. You know, I knew some people who weren't as athletic as I was, and they were better than me.
3: So what was your superpower then? Obviously what was mm. like what was the thing that kept you in the game as long as it did?
1: I think it's like like we discussed I think it's basically my um work ethic, um my ability to see things that other people weren't seeing, um, my ability to see the game in a in a completely different way. You know, just my different perspective on on things, man. Like okay, I have to get I have to get off the ball quicker than everybody else. So how am I going to do that? Um, If I'm looking, I'm like, okay, the offensive lineman is here and I'm here and everybody else is getting to him at a certain time, but I need to get there faster. So for me, it was like scientific. I need to study to see what's going to give me that edge. And I think that's what did it. And um, the great quarterbacks, the great players, for me, I think they do that also because you can have guys who are very good athletes and they're going to be good players and you're going to have guys who are really smart athletes they're going to be good players but i think when you combine the great athlete with the intelligence and the hard work i think that's where you get the special players i think that's the to answer your question i think that's the difference yeah i think that is the complete difference is when you combine a guy or a person who's a great athlete with somebody who's willing to grind and work and look for that edge, when you combine those two, that's where you see the Michael Jordans or the Tom Bradys or the, you know, the special, the really special players.
3: So do you think then that seeing the world from that lateral view, so rather than being immersed in it, like Jake said, from seven years old and growing up and knowing the history of the sport, whereas you're coming at it from a wider perspective of seeing more of life, do you think that that could help other athletes or other performers 100
1: but I, I think I think it would be more so in other aspects of life not just sport right I think if, if you know from sport you can look at it from you know a guy uh, who was raised in the academy system here uh, who's just been playing football all his life and if he dedicates his life strictly to football I think he can be a great player you know but after his career is over You know, that's where I think there's going to be problems, you know. But I think if you've experienced a bunch of different things and you come from a bunch of different backgrounds and then you're immersed in that environment, that academy environment, I think after his career is over, I think he'll be much more prone to success. So, I mean, I don't
3: know about the NFL, the stats, but I remember reading a stat in the NBA that I think it was something like 85% of players will find themselves bankrupt five years after they, they retire from playing. Yeah. Is that what you're describing there? That 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 lack of roundedness can often lead to trouble outside of the narrow domains of the
1: sport. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You, you're going to find a bunch of that, man. But it's not. It's not only that. In in some form or in some form of fashion, I, I kind of understand it. For instance, you see, like a lot of the players who, for instance, the white players who already come into the league with. Sound financial advice from, you know, maybe they have money from early on, um, their parents come from money, uh, they'll come into league. I I guarantee you the statistics for them being broken, maybe like five percent. Right. Very, very low. But then you see people who come from the hood or the projects, um, the environment that I was placed into, you know, when I left um, Nigeria And I guarantee you, like, their statistics will probably be that 80% that you're talking about. But then you have to understand why that is. These guys have had nothing their whole life. Like, nothing. They grew up in poverty. They grew up with no financial, no literacy training, you know, none of that. And so now they get into the NFL and they're given millions of dollars. And their first instinct is to buy and to spend and to enjoy the things that they've never, you know, had before. And so then they run out of money and then you now point the finger at them and say, oh, you're an idiot. But it's it's all basically the environment you're placed into. Um, so
3: so how did you break that, though? Because yeah. because if you've grown up in a family where you go, uh, I'm a spender, not a saver, yeah. and then you get given millions of dollars, yeah. you you just spend with more money. right? So it's an education process. So how did you educate yourself? Not to that. go into those
1: bear traps. It, it, it was very easy because I was lucky enough to have grown up in a household, in a family that had money. Like my father was was well off. And um, it was only until like the later stages of my life that, you know, he kind of didn't have any money anymore. So I had experienced having money and then being broke. And so I knew for a fact that, having money was a lot better than <laughs> being broke. So when I did get money, I knew that I never wanted to go back to to being broke, man. That that that's man, that's it's it's a terrible thing, especially if you've had money and then went back to being broke. And so I knew going in, I was like rather than um spending money, my whole thing was saving and you know being, you know, fiscally responsible and being smarter with the money that I had because you know, I knew what it was to have money and then to go broke. And I, it, it just wasn't a good thing. And so I didn't come in with the mentality of, oh, I'm going to buy this and buy that and buy all this crazy stuff because, you know, my father had that. And so I'd already experienced that to some, to some extent. And um, I didn't really feel the need to prove anything to anybody by buying, you know, a bunch of, of different things. I, I didn't feel the need to do that. So I, I was smart in that way. But I also understand where that mentality comes from when people have never had anything before and then they just stupidly spend. So to your point, education is the most important thing. You need to be educated on what to do and
0: what not to do. So you're now a dad, right? Yes. Your kids, with the career you've had and the life you've lived, are probably not going to struggle, let's be honest. Yeah. So how do you build a resilient child when they don't struggle? That's that's an incredible question, Jay. Incredible question. And I struggle with it. Yeah. I do because I I think you probably were successful in the NFL and a better player because of the period where your dad went OC. Oh, I've got issues. You're in the projects. We've got no money. Fend for yourself. Yep. Without that happening, I wonder whether you would have been as, as successful. There's no chance. Yeah.
1: There's no chance of it. And in some form or fashion, that was luck. <laughs> in, in some form yeah, or fashion. Yeah.
0: But it was part of the story. And,
2: right. Yeah.
1: And, you know, I look at my son now, um, I have a 12 year old and, you know, we have a two year old and, and I look at them and I see my 12 year old and, you know, that hunger that I had, you know, he talked, oh, I want to be a, uh, I want to be in the NBA. I want to do this. I want to do that. And then, you know, he'll get on the treadmill for like five minutes and be like, ah, and then he'll get off, you know, he'll go shoot some jumpers for like three minutes and be like, ah, I'm done with this. And. You 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 can't teach them that that hunger that, that is going to take man. I, I tell them I pull them aside. I'm like, listen, you know, I've been in that environment of of athletes who who are doing this for their lives. You know, you think this you think this is a joke? These people are. Their whole families and their families' families are dependent on this, man. They will kill you out there. And you think you're going to go out there and behave this way and make you don't, you don't stand a chance. But I can't give him that... Fire. That has to come from something inside you, whereas you're like, man, I got to get out of here. I have to get out of this situation. And if you don't have that, I think it takes a real special athlete. That's why you see, like, maybe... uh Michael Jordan's kids, or you know, kids of high level, they don't never really ascend to the level of their of their parents because I, I feel like it, it's that kind of greatness is born from struggle in most cases. And the ones who at- achieve that, even though their parents were great, I, I believe there's a special place for them because that took a different kind of
0: yeah. <laughs> you know. Absolutely. What's yeah. the name of your youngest? Uh, Igwe. Well, Lucas so is the most important thing for lucas then to be allowed to fail because as parents particularly successful parents you will do everything you and your wife Leah, you'll do everything to make sure your child does not fail yes therefore they have no resilience therefore they get to 21 22 they go for their first ever job interview and get told no yeah their whole world falls apart yeah so it's about making sure uh, there's a phrase helicopter parenting yeah (tail態) Hovering around your kids all the time. You know, we do it all the time. We build everything up. Maybe with your two year old, let let them win. Let them, yeah, you've done it. Wow. Mm -hmm. What about, oh, you gotta be better if you're gonna be successful. Yeah, I, I, um,
1: that's a good one, man. And you love, you love your kids so much. You know, you just kind of wanna give them everything and help them all the time. But if you do that, then, they they can't, you know. They they it's just it's just not the way. Unfortunately, the the world works. But you know, the only thing that I could think of and, and say is, you know, you see people who are successful, um, and they hand down generational wealth to their children, and you know, this just keeps keeps on in the family and it just keeps on going and going. So I, I almost feel like, okay, maybe this is my responsibility to hand that to them, the way you see a bunch of other people um, I'm doing. And,
0: but it, you still want them to... Yeah, but Don't forget what you've got. You've got the wealth, yeah? yeah, But you've also got the experience and the knowledge of struggling and being a success. So what you have to, I guess, do is, if you're going to pass the wealth, you've got to pass the other stuff on as well. How do you do that, is the question. Allow them to fail. To fail. Set them traps. I mean, Damien, you're a good one for the stories of people, even when they're applying, people are going for a job to set traps to, to get the right
3: people. So the work, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with this from, um, from the education Mm. and uh, when you were in the NFL, but the whole growth mindset work of Carol Dweck. So she's a uh, child psychologist. Mm. Uh, She's uh, Stanford now, I think, but she did uh, studies with kids where kids that were born with talent are told that they were talented They were sort of given uh, like maths tests to do, but they were told that they were good at maths already. And then other kids were taught about struggle and how struggle makes you smarter and weren't given particularly maths training. Mm. And when they did the same puzzles, the kids that thought they were talented coasted through the easy maths test. But when it got more difficult, mm. they fell away a lot quicker. They're like, you're a child that mm. stops playing basketball after yeah. three minutes. But yeah. the ones that were taught about struggle makes you smarter when they hit difficulties, they kept working, they kept grafting, they kept finding a way through. So resilience
1: and is a mindset. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you're born with. I'm, gl- I'm glad we're having this conversation and my wife is here to listen to it because, <laughs> man.
3: I- See, <laughs> can I, I ask you a man. question about Layla? I, because I don't want to embarrass you here, but I, so when I was researching you, yeah, I read a, I read a great question that somebody had asked you and, and you went up in my estimation that, so Layla, you were a Miss Universe Um, obviously (laughs) obviously of course and somebody asked about like how do you date Miss Universe and what I loved was your answer of she was a person and and I saw beyond status or titles and I saw the person underneath it and I was interested about that's obviously a far-sighted view but you must have been going into dressing rooms of big egos big reputations guys that were on a pedestal what did you look for in a teammate beyond title, reputation, or status?
1: Just exactly what you said, the person that they were, and that this was what I respected most about people. You know, even, you know, from from a, a young age, in my father's house, we would have, like, you know, drivers and, you know, maids and all this, and I was hanging out with them. So I never, I never, under any circumstances ever had the mentality that I was better than anybody. Everybody was just a person to me. And so going into, you know, these locker rooms, when I would see people who behaved that, or behaved in in a manner who thought they were better than people, in my head, you're just a person. And, you know, at the end, when we all die, you're, you're going in the ground just like whoever. So if you didn't behave like a, you know, a regular human being, or if you didn't behave like, you know, everybody, if you didn't treat people the same way as you treat anybody else, then I, I couldn't respect you. And so my friends in the locker room were people who had the same mentality as me. You know, you would see some of the biggest stars. And I'm talking about people who couldn't walk down the streets in New York. And, you know, once you get in that locker room, you know, we're all just, we're all just people, man. Nobody really you're not better than anybody the last person on the roster is the same as the, as the, as the you know the top person on the roster everybody was almost like a um, a family in there and you you learn to respect that but then when you would leave that environment and you know you would drive into the city and you would see the reaction to people it it was it was almost like you're like, golly, my wife says that all the time. She was like, you know, I'd be walking down the street with her, and people were like, hey, oh, what's up? You know, talking like they knew me, and she couldn't understand, you know, that mentality, you know, whereas people would do that. But, you know, for me, it was normal, and I would just treat them like the same way that I would treat my brother or anybody, because in my head, nobody is better than anybody else.
3: So, do you think that being able to view the world through that lens yeah. meant that? you could look at tom brady before the 2007 super bowl and yeah. not see tom brady yeah you could just see a person
1: that you were just going to smash i didn't care nothing about him man i didn't care <laughs> nothing about you know him his championships or his whole life no he was he was just a man just like me and um we were going to see who was better uh and that's the great thing about sport man is no matter who you are no matter what you've accomplished You still have to, you know, you still got to play that game. And then that will determine, you know, who the real victor is. And um, I love that about sport.
2: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite.
0: Today's episode of High Performance is in partnership with MindLift. And many of you may have heard already that in 2023, I decided to give MindLift a go. The neuroscience-based, personalized brain trainer to improve your focus and your relaxation. So I popped on the headband, I downloaded the MindLift app, and connected to my own personal neuro coach. And look, because of my job as a podcaster, I get to experience so many different things that people tell me are going to benefit my life. And in all honesty, once I started using MindLift, I just found that I felt sharper, my focus was better, and I think something else that you can't necessarily feel is that it offers an improvement for overall brain health. I also was really reassured by the fact that this is trusted by clinicians around the world. I know for a fact it's used by top athletes. I've spoken to some of them about how much they love it. And the fact that the whole experience is customised by your own neuro coach, I think just makes it really smart. So if you want to get involved and you're interested, now is the time with a $40 discount exclusively for you. And if you want to get $40 off your first subscription, just go to mindlift.com slash highperformance. That's M-Y-N-D-L-I-F-T dot com slash highperformance. Hey, look, as you know, in high performance, we love to highlight businesses doing things a better way. That's why we're proud to partner today with Mint Mobile. And when I found Mint Mobile, I had to share it with you. They've ditched retail stores and all the overhead costs and passed those savings onto you. Right now, Mint Mobile has wireless plans starting at $15 a month. That's unlimited talk and text plus data for $15 a month. And for me, those numbers are fantastic. I've been paying way more than that for my whole life. So if you hate your phone bill, Mint Mobile can offer you premium wireless, for just 15 bucks a month. All the plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network, and you can choose from three, six, or 12-month plans. Say goodbye to your monthly phone bills. So to get your wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com HPP. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com HPP. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I was just thinking about the people that are yelling at you when you're walking down the street. They probably just couldn't believe you were with Ms Universe. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's just be clear on that. That's probably what it was. Man. Probably what it um, was. I'd love to keep the conversation on the, the locker room for a bit. Yeah. Because lots of business people listen to this, people that run businesses, people that operate in businesses and creating winning cultures is a permanent challenge for those people. Mm. So from the locker rooms that you've enjoyed, what have you learned is a winning culture? Let's say you want to go and set up a team or set up a business tomorrow. What are the cultures from then that you'd like to see now? That's a great question.
1: Okay. I played 12 years in the NFL. And I can categorically tell you that maybe there was like five or six years where I would I couldn't wait to get to work, like I couldn't wait to get there. Yeah. You know, it was so much fun being there. Like I didn't I didn't view it as work. Like I, I would get in there and like my friends were there, yeah. and it was I'm talking about competition at the highest level. You know, because every year they're bringing in. You know, new players, and these players are actively looking to replace you because there's only there's a finite number of, <laughs> of jobs, yeah. and so you're competing with people. But in the same respect, it, it was just it was just so much fun going in there. And coincidentally, these were the years where we had the most success.
0: Is when you would go in there, it was a good environment. So so how we're, positive were those environments? Because I always think of um, I've never played sport to an elite level, but yeah. I think of the winning dressing rooms or the winning locker rooms is the ones where everyone's ready to rip each other's head off for not performing yeah how much were those great eras for you Mm -hmm. the ones where everyone lifted each other up made each other feel amazing to see how far you could all go that's most of them were like that
1: right yeah it wasn't uh oddly enough the 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 times where people were trying to rip each other's heads off those were the years where we were (laughs) where we didn't play quite as well and so I think winning fosters a winning mentality. And so, you know, maybe the fact that we were winning allowed us to keep that environment going because it's a it's an ultra competitive thing. But we, we would come in there and, you know, they would put the tape on and we would just stop watching tape and we would just start messing around, messing around with each other while their film was playing. You know, the coach would stop it. He would, you know, stop the film and then. He would, like, if somebody was talking too loud, he would put them on trial. And so, you know, I would be the lawyer. This is why we're supposed to be watching tape. I would be the lawyer. I would be defending my teammate for talking loudly. And then there would be a prosecution. There would be, you know, defendants. And, you know, we, we would fine each other for being late. Say you were supposed to do, um, say, for instance, you were supposed to be in, in this door at 11 o'clock. And so everybody would run in at like 10.59 and we would we would jam the door. So if you were late, you couldn't get in. And then we would fine you like $5,000, you know, while we're holding the door for you not to be able to get in. And so when you finally did get in, you would, you know, we'd write your name on there. Yeah, yeah. And then like when we'd go to practice, you had to like sprint. I'm talking about every single playing the guy would throw the ball. You had to sprint, and then we would put a sheet down, and we would write how many times you ran to the ball. And if you didn't run to the ball, that's a fine. And so everything became like competition, but it was a fun competition. And and we loved each other. And we still like we're still in contact today. Like we have like a whole WhatsApp group, and we're talking, we're enjoying each other because of that bond you form that's forged through, you know, high level of competition.
3: See what's noticeable, though, see, is that is how energized you are when yeah. you're talking about this. So, what would you say were the behaviors? So How would you describe that environment? Mm-hmm. So, I'm hearing at fun is one of the terms you use in and and the personal relationships. But how would you describe that culture?
1: It was it was based completely on merits was one of the most important things I would say. You're you're in an environment and. Black, white, green, whatever it is, nobody cares. I'm talking about right there within the locker room and on the football field. And so when you're placed in that environment and you see that everything is fair, like the best players are going to play um, and the best players are going to get paid the most money, when you're in an environment like that where everybody's treated fairly and everything is based on merits, it almost creates you know, a trusting, um, it's a trusting feeling. It's it's a feeling of just, you know, being around like-minded people. And, you know, whether you were white, black, white people didn't think they were better than black people. Black people didn't think they were better than white people. Nobody thought anything besides the best players were going to play and those guys were going to get paid the most. And we are placed in that environment and when you understand this to be true when you understand this to be self-evident i think this is what creates a culture of of um you know just love and and oneness and wanting to be around each other
3: so how would you deal with people that came in who didn't subscribe to this
1: yeah that the, they were gone pretty quickly um they didn't last in that environment and how did you make sure they didn't last oh they just weed themselves out it wasn't like Oh, we're going to go whip this guy's you know, beat this guy. It wasn't nothing like that. It was just, this is the way we do things, right? You come in, you see the way everybody's behaving. If you don't conform to this behavior, um, you just couldn't, you just weren't going to fit in. Number one, the locker room is, is a, it's a lot of people. It's 53 people. Um, training camps, is like 90 people. And so you come in there and you're an outcast in an environment where, 53 people are behaving one way. How, how, do you, how do you expect to last in that environment? You, like you can't, unless you're literally an exceptional player. And in the NFL, there's every, almost everybody who makes it, there's an exceptional player. So you can't, you can't survive in that environment.
3: So the six years when you wouldn't describe it as passionately as what you described that period, yeah. how did you feel you could influence and change that for the better?
1: That's something that I've struggled with myself because I don't think I really understand. Because it was the same locker room, Um, you know, maybe a couple of different players here or there, a couple of different coaches here or there. But I can't point the finger directly and say, this is what caused us to not be gelling or not, you know, playing as well as as we wanted to. I, I really don't know the answer to that question. It's something I've thought about. I'm like, man, I wonder what happened. I wonder why things were...
0: That's difficult though, isn't it? Because if you don't know the issue, you can't then solve it and make sure the following season you're better. Exactly. And um, it, it was almost
1: as if, you know, I wish I knew because I could transfer it to, you know, I'd be like, oh, this is exactly what we did. And then, you know, everybody would be, you know, successful. But I don't really know the answer to that question. I just know in some instances we had it and in other instances we didn't.
3: So can I ask a bit of a leading question on this? Absolutely. This really intrigues me, this area. If you were to divide up the skill set of hard skills, Mm -hmm. as in speed, fitness, Mm -hmm. and all the things you can measure, and then you could also apportion some of it to soft skills, Mm -hmm. like the laughter, the humour, the trust, that are very difficult to quantify. Mm. In the best dressing rooms, what would you say the proportion was between hard skills and soft
1: skills? I would probably say 60-40, 60 hard skills, 40 soft skills. I'll probably attribute it to that. I mean the uh, bad dressing rooms? <laughs> probably. Harder on the hard skills. Probably like Less 80, 80 uh-huh. 20. You know, 80 on the hard skills, 20 on the soft skills. I, I would say. But I think you have to, you have to somehow find a, a balance, you know, and a healthy balance. It can't be just majority hard skills with little soft skills or majority soft skills with little hard skills. I think I believe that people have to come into work not even thinking that it's a job. You know, I feel like people have to come in there like wanting to be there, wanting to realize whatever goal it is that that you have. And if majority of the people who are working in a specific environment or a specific company think like that, I think your organization is going to be successful But if most of the people come in there thinking, oh, I got to go into work or they go in there, you know, trying to achieve things for themselves. I think uh, it's going to be much more difficult for your organization to succeed.
0: Is the OC that we see today the epitome of those good environments? Because one thing that has always struck me from the time that we first met is that I would describe you as absolutely free of ego. Right. Now, I don't know whether that's how you've become since you've retired or whether if we'd have bumped into each other when you were playing, whether you still would have been free of ego because someone has taught you that the right way to be is to be ego free.
1: Yeah. I I think from, from a young age, I was like that. from a young age, I, I was just, I just never thought I was, I was better than anybody, man. Like I literally never thought that I just, you know, and, and the way, you know, my life has worked has just been I'm like, man, yeah, I worked hard I, I did work hard, but man, I was lucky man i got I got lucky here. and so knowing that you know keeps me it keeps me grounded and it keeps me um it keeps me humble because if I think that I did this all myself, man yeah, man, I might be superman, you know if yeah. i if I think that, but if I have the mindset that nah you know I was even the fact that my parents were who my parents were. You know, like they passed me down some some genes that even allowed me to, you know, to think the way I think and behave the way I think. So it, it,
0: just thinking
1: thinking like that
0: so, has kept me. So here's well. one really briefly then, because so many people will come on this podcast and they take absolute responsibility for the good and the bad. Yeah. If you're telling us that the good happened because you were lucky. Yes. Did you ever allow yourself to accept that when you messed up, when you lost games and when you played poorly, that you were just unlucky? Absolutely. Really? Because, okay, for instance, I
1: would go into a game and, I mean, I would prepare to the nines. Like, I mean, work my butt off um, for hours. The exact same thing that I did against the Patriots. Mm -hmm. Um, The exact same thing that I did for most most of my career. There was no variance in the way I worked. Everything was the same. Like, I knew that I had to dedicate myself to what I was doing. Otherwise, I wouldn't succeed. And I would go into a game and I would get dominated, put in the same work, um, might have even worked harder that particular week. And, you know, the ball bounced this way or, you know, something didn't go correctly. So am I now supposed to be like, (laughs) you know, if, if, if you have that mentality that, okay, I'm going to put in a massive amount of work regardless of what happens, then. You know, sometimes you're lucky and sometimes you literally are unlucky. There's nothing you could have done that could have changed the outcome of this particular situation. And so I would go home and, you know, after wins or losses, you know, a lot of times I would lose the game and I would sleep soundly. And the only reason why I was able to sleep soundly was because I knew, like, from my soul that I put in every single ounce of me into trying to be successful and trying to do my job and when you know you've done that if it doesn't work out what do you <laughs> what, what what do you attribute that to yeah. if you know what i mean
3: see i think what you're describing there is is, is like a textbook definition of of optimism mm. and i think there's a di- there's a distinction between not being optimistic and being positive people think being positive is you see the good in every situation mm. being optimistic is saying bad things can happen right. but i still think it'll get better mm. and i think what you're describing is is, is the language and the mindset of, of an eternal optimist as opposed to anything else yeah I agree man one quick question uh, just about the industry of the NFL yeah. I watched the um, the documentary on Aaron Hernandez mm-hmm. that was fascinating for lots of reasons but the one that I was interested in was the suffering that a lot of players have had in their later careers yeah. due to like the you know the physical toll mm-hmm. on the brain how have you sort of Squared that away with yourself?
1: That's, that's a great question. And I know I'm fully aware of what the NFL and what playing football, any contact sport or whatever at that high level, I'm fully aware of the repercussions of it. How have I squared it away? The the way I like to look at it is nobody in this world gives you something for nothing. And You know, I retired when I was 33 and literally retired and I didn't have to work again for like the rest of my life at 33. And playing in the NFL allowed me to do that, allowed me to take care of thousands of people in Nigeria, allowed me to take care of my family, allowed me to put my kids in the best schools and to give them advantages that pretty much very few people were going to have. Plainly, the NFL a lot gave me all of this. And so in my head, there's a trade-off for that. There's a pound of flesh, so to speak, that is going to be taken from you. For me to expect to have all of that and just walk away scot-free is, to me, it was unrealistic. And it's not the way that I see the world working. And so I've come to accept the fact that there's going to be repercussions for doing what I did. I've had numerous surgeries on my body. Um, I wake up in the morning; it's it's difficult. You know, it takes me a while to you know get going. But I'm I, I'm literally okay. <laughs> I'm okay with that because for me, everything that was given to me by this sport outweighs the potential ramifications of of what could That's happen.
3: Powerful, because that fits with what you said about the best teams you were. we were a meritocracy. Yeah everything was fair yeah. and you knew it. So that's entirely consistent with
0: that. Really interesting way to finish. We have a quick fire round and then we're done. Okay. Absolutely unacceptable behaviours that you would never tolerate either now or when you were playing in the NFL. What was, the sort of, what was top of that list if there was one thing that someone brought to the table and you were like, no. I mean, I imagine with you probably too much of an ego. That would be
1: top of the list. I, I could never stand people treating other people in a demeaning way, that's the one thing that is just like a no-no for me, man. I just have never been about that. So if I saw that, you know, that was, that was definitely a no-go for me. But other than that, I can't really think of anything that really bothered me to, uh, you know, in, in a very tremendous way, but that right there was mm-mm.
3: So a slight, um, Deviation on that question. What were the three non-negotiable behaviors that you and everyone around you had to demonstrate? Couldn't be a hypocrite.
1: That's not, that's um <laughs> that's one of the things that I, I really hate the most. Man, I hate when people like to hold other people accountable but not themselves. And I feel like you have to be you have to be able to take responsibility as a person first before pointing the finger at anybody else or blaming anybody else. I, I believe you have to be able to. You know, look at yourself first. And that's gotten me into quite a bit of trouble, you know, because I've come to realize that a lot of people don't like to do that. They don't like to take responsibility. It seems to be quite a difficult thing to do. And what were the other two? I don't know, man.
0: Uh, I have to get back to this, man. I have to get back to this, man, at some point. What advice would you give a teenage OC just starting out in life? Stay away from those women. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that no, went down not pretty well. well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> not at all. I, I think um, maybe maybe relax a little bit more, enjoy, you know, the ride a little bit more. Yeah. I think I think I think that and, and learn to, you know, not be quite as hard on myself as as I think I was a little bit earlier. I didn't really enjoy things um, the way I think I, I should have. I remember when I got drafted, I wasn't even happy like when I got drafted, which a lot of people find really strange, but like when I got drafted, all I felt was pressure. I was like, "Oh, oh man, I got drafted pretty high now I got to go perform, yes. and so I didn't really en- enjoy it the way that I should have at that particular time, so that's that's the thing I, w- I would say. So link to that,
3: how did you react to your greatest failure?
1: I think in the short term, you know, you're like, man, this was bad. But then when I sit back and I think about it, it really it's not that is it like I I took it as a learning experience. You know, like I'm like, okay, I can literally learn from from this because it didn't kill me. Um, it didn't, you know, put me in the in the grave or set me back like ridiculously because I, I became I've become like risk averse in, in some in some form or fashion and so my failures have been in some in some way just like small you know in the grand scheme of things it's not something that really really hurt me the way that if I would have just taken massive risks that that I would have been hurt by so I just, it's just a learning lesson I know not to do that again <laughs> you know and that's pretty much it are you happy extremely. Extremely good. Uh, yeah. Especially like you should be. Especially being here, man. This place, man, London is awesome. Like this place is is incredible. I was asked the question the other day. They were like, yo, uh, where would you live if you could live anywhere in the world? It's it's here. Like I man, people just don't understand how 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 lucky how lucky you are to be in an environment like this, man. Obviously it has issues and it has problems, but God, this place is is incredible, man. How important is legacy to you? Legacy is 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 everything. If you think about it, when you leave here, you know a lot of people. It's almost a way of being immortal. In a way, it's like okay, how how do people think of you when you're gone? You know, um, you know, my father passed away recently, um, and you know, my father was. You know he's Christian, and he was in the he was in the East, and then the President of Nigeria is Muslim and he's in the north and if you understand the dynamics in Nigeria, the East and the north, they I mean you know they don't really get along, they fought a war, you know and because the North is Muslim, the East is Christian, and so they almost hate each other in a way. And so when my father passed away, the president of the country who's a Muslim in the north sent a message. You know, saying, oh, we mourn as a country, the passing of this man, Igwe John Numenia, who is my father. And it sent like shockwaves through the whole country because nobody from the north had ever done anything like that for somebody in the east before. And so when I saw that, you know, I wrote a message to my to my brothers and sisters and I was like, man, if this doesn't show you what life is all about, like, you know, what would like this man left such a legacy that a Muslim man in the in the northern part of the country who, you know, they're known for not liking, you know, he's actually sent a message of condolence. And so for me, in a way that that triggered something in me, I was like, man, you have to because my father helped a lot of people. And so I was like, man. You have to help as many people as possible, man, in this life, man. You have to, because when you're gone, that stuff just, it just, it just pays forward in a way. So legacy is is, is extremely important to me, man. And I, I'm going to dedicate
0: my life to trying to help as many people as possible.
3: I'm wow. sorry about your loss. Yeah, oh.
0: sorry, I appreciate that. And the final question is your one golden rule to living a high performance life. And this is for the people listening to this, that have to be sports stars not nfl players just the people tuning into this podcast what's your one sort of final message for them for a, a life they love it's the actual golden rule
1: you know and it's it's simple but if you actually live your life according to that it's 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 incredible all you have to do is literally treat people the way you want to be treated the way you would expect for somebody to treat you, you just treat them that exact same way in in every form or fashion. And I feel like if you do that, your, your life is just, you know, you just you just bring back whatever you put out. And I found that in my life, man, I treat everybody the same way that I would expect them to treat me. And um, it is the actual
0: <laughs> known as the golden rule. And I live like that. Listen, that's been an amazing period just to sit and talk to you like that. Thank you so much for joining us, for for the honesty, for the stories. We've touched on all kinds of things. I think the sort of one thing that stands out to me from that conversation is that you're someone who has chosen responsibility over fault. So lots of things have happened over your life. You've never chosen to blame those things. You've just decided to push through and make it a success. And you're you're an inspiration to many people, whether they're here in the UK, in Nigeria, in the United States. And... I suppose the uh, the biggest thing of all is that you've clearly enjoyed the journey as well. Absolutely, man. Thank you guys for having me, man. Thanks, I really so appreciate you. this. Damien. Jake. That guy, he can tell a story.
3: I thought he was fantastic. I think there was a real warmth to him and I loved his energy when we got him on the best teams he has been a part of. It, His energy went up to a different level that I found really compelling to be in this company and to be able to experience it.
0: So we're now into the second series of the pod. And of all the conversations we've had with all the different people from all levels of success and different sports and different businesses and walks of life, I don't think anyone has attributed luck as strongly as he does. That is a very rare thing, particularly for an elite level sports person, because it's kind of taking it away from a controllable. Luck is an uncontrollable and they often avoid those.
3: Yeah, but then look, one great definition of it, it's where opportunity meets preparation. So I think the fact that he can recognise circumstances aligned, like when his high school coach suggested him to the Troy University coaches, but he had to still take that opportunity. He had to still impose his will on it, which is one of the phrases. So there's some brilliant research out there on look by a man called Dr. Richard Wiseman. He's a, a psychologist at Hertfordshire University. And he did a a massive study on this about 20 years ago. And what he said was that lucky. the psychological definition of lucky is lucky people just think they're lucky. Unlucky people think they're unlucky. And when you're presented with opportunities, lucky people recognize them. Unlucky people ignore them. So I think whilst he attributes it to luck, he still had to go at it with that mindset of, seeing an opportunity and being prepared to take it.
0: And you could see the sort of um, the anguish when we talk about how he makes his children struggle because they won't need to struggle from a financial perspective. But I think you get the impression that a guy who left the UK to go to Nigeria, to go to America, to struggle at school, to be given a great opportunity, to thrive in the NFL, to find a career afterwards working as a broadcaster, his kids will be just fine because I think he understands what you need to do in this world to be successful, doesn't he? Yeah, I do. And I think this is
3: something that has come out a lot in our conversations with these high performers, is that it's the values that you pass on. While your experiences might be very different, his children won't be transplanted from one country to go and live in Nigeria as another. The the values of treat people with kindness, treat them the same, behave with respect... You know, regard the meritocracy as somewhere to actually go after. I think all of those things are transferable from one generation to the next, and I've no doubt his children will thrive in whatever industry they choose to pursue.
0: And anyone listening to this that thinks to be a high performance person, you have to be arrogant and dismissive and superior, listen to OC, meet OC, and you realize you can conquer the world and still be humble.
3: Yeah, I think like. I've had a lot of people that have listened to the first couple of series so far and they always say, um, like, like, what is it? What's the secret ingredient? And the way I've explained it is just how down-to-earth so many of these guys are. And I think you can almost overlook that, but I think that's the superpower of them. They recognise that they might be skilled in one area of their life, but they also know what they don't know in other areas and they've got the humility to be able to ask questions and be curious and and decent. As well, and I think he was a perfect epitome
0: of that. Another great listen. Brilliant, Damien. It's been another week of just sort of constant messages coming into us about the impact that this podcast is making with people. I mean, we saw one from someone saying the podcast literally saved their life, and i mean it's the kind of thing that it's it's hard to get a head around isn't it and i know you've been having lots of comments from lots of people as usual
3: yeah definitely jake i think it's um it's mind-blowing really how people are taking this and and i really listening deeply you know and more importantly than taking these ideas from high performers and adopting them into their own lives it's you know that was the purpose why we did this and uh
0: it's nice just to be reminded of that purpose. And thanks to all of you. Um, Nick Hyde, I've got a message here from Primary PE, Mr. J, Stuart Griffith, Steve Birch, Fran in Derbyshire, Simon Allison, Rachel Atherton, who's world champion mountain bike racer. Um, loads of loads of brilliant comments, loads of thoughts. This is the one I want to just share with you now though. And it says, the joy of me only discovering the high performance podcasts is that I've downloaded all the shows. I get to listen to one a night on my walks. So on tonight's walk, I listened to Johnny Wilkinson. Never, and I mean never, has a podcast made me stop, stand still and listen like this. I was just in awe. What a man, what an outlook. It just blew me away. Great stuff. I've taken something from every conversation, whether I've heard of the guest, whether I've liked the guest or not. They've all given me food for thought. And I can hear Jake and Damien questioning and probing and being very reflective. I'm not sure how any interview could trump this one for me. Thank you so much. You're truly making a difference. And I'm sure I'm speaking for a lot of people, not just me. That came in from Martin. And the reason why I wanted to pick up on that one, Damien, is because there is lots of messages like that. But of all the podcast episodes we've done, and Johnny Wilkinson remains the most popular, the most downloaded, the most listened to, it's also the one that divides people the most. And we live in a world now where we surround ourselves, particularly because of social media, with people who share the same, the same viewpoint as us. So I think it's really powerful to keep on searching for people with a different viewpoint who even don't necessarily agree with. Definitely. Cognitive diversity
3: is the phrase that, that describes what, what we're aiming for people to get out of this, Jake, that the idea of that life isn't black or white, there's shades of gray in the middle. And, and it's often in those shades of gray where real learning and understanding happens, you know, you don't have to agree with them, but it's about being humble enough to listen, to be curious, to, explore what it is that they're
0: saying and then come to your own conclusion. And why do you think it is that we've lost the art of the nuance? You know, you can no longer agree slightly with someone or disagree a little bit with an element of someone. It's like you're either all for or all against. Yeah,
3: well, I think social media plays a big part in um, in, in in driving that kind of binary thinking that you're either... It's either or oh, tends to be the opinion that you either despise donald trump or you love donald trump rather than why can't you just not have an opinion on donald trump why can't you just be neutral in that position it almost doesn't allow neutrality and people to be independent in their
0: thought and i think what's really important if you're listening to this and you're thinking actually yeah i you know i do struggle with people that have a a different viewpoint and i just sort of shoot them down and, and search for someone that agrees a growth mindset is a mindset that wants different opinions, that wants people to challenge them, that wants to, in the words of Jordan Wilkinson, as we're talking about that episode, wants to explore. It's so important. You might surprise yourself. And I think people listen to this pod, they want to hear more about a growth mindset, Damien, and it's probably a good place to start challenging your own thinking. Exactly. I think
3: a growth mindset
0: is often about going into...
3: A phrase that me and you use independently is that idea of entering the valley of humility, where when you're in that place, you admit what you know that you don't know, things that you're curious, that you ask questions rather than offer opinions, that you make, uh, that you seek to understand rather than making sure that you're understood. All of that are the hallmarks of a of a growth mindset, and the more that we can develop that, the more resilient and robust we become when we face with. Difference or diversity.
0: You know, I'm a bit obsessed with um, your quotes that you put on Instagram. If anyone else hasn't found them yet, at Liquid Thinker is where you can find Damien. What's the one you put up about? Um, an opinion is is like an opinion is not what matters. It's about the knowledge. Yeah, that's, that's right. So it's from a guy called Bill Bullard, and his point was uh, that opinion is the lowest form of knowledge
3: because it requires no empathy or no understanding. He considers the highest point of knowledge is uh, is empathy because his point is you have to suspend your ego and you have to enter somebody else's world to try and understand it from their perspective. And I think that's what a lot of listeners are coming back to us and, and, and demonstrating that highest sense of knowledge, that, uh, that empathy of just listening to somebody, whether you agree with them, whether you even know anything about them, step into their world for an hour
0: and see it from their perspective and you'll start to understand why they do what they did. Well, do you know what, Damien? Maybe that is what people should do this week. Maybe that should be the challenge for them. If they find themselves wanting to silence and control all of the other thoughts that come into their mind, maybe this week search for someone that challenges your opinion and see how it leaves you after seven days of just at least listening and considering with empathy other people's points of view. How can it be a bad thing? How can it hurt? I think it'd be a brilliant thing, Jake. I think
3: then it leads us to understanding... And to, and to be able to empathise with other people. There's a great phrase that my wife sometimes uses with me that says, I would make the same decision if I was you. And the point she makes by that is, if I had lived your life and the experiences that you've had and the knowledge that you've had, I'd have probably come to exactly the same conclusion that you have done. And I think when we empathise, we can step into somebody's world and try to understand why they've done something rather than judge them. We can try to make sense of it
0: I think that's brilliant listen Damien thank you as always for your time on the High Performance Podcast I love it thanks Jake we're talking to each other at the back end of the OCU Manura episode I think when people have listened to this one again it's going to challenge them in a whole different way isn't it I loved his energy in the room when we spoke to him
3: yeah he was fantastic I thought he was he, he came in and there's that old saying that some people light up a room and they leave it Some people light it up when they walk in and he was definitely somebody that lit us all up.
0: Brilliant. Listen, thanks so much for your time, mate. As always, hugely appreciate it. Thanks very much to all the people as well who uh, work on the um, High Performance Podcast, Hannah and Will and Finn, who's involved as well. We couldn't do it without any of them. Don't forget to keep checking back for more. Rate the podcast, review the podcast, find us on YouTube, check us out on Instagram. But this week, just make sure that you don't mind a difference of opinion. You just mind hatred approach like that. Have a great week, and thanks for joining us. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a US-based restoration specialist on your team,